You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today. My name is Ken Swanson. This is the AP Laboratory. We have another special episode this week. Last week, we, get, we got to talk to BJ Kissel. This week, we are talking to Matt Miller at Bleacher Report. He is their lead NFL draft writer. He is the host of the Stick to Football podcast. He has a great foundation uh, that he has built called the 417 Foundation. We're going to talk to him a little bit about that. Uh, it's going to be a little bit different format than you're typically used to, but it's all three of us, Craig, Maddie, myself, talking to Matt Miller. Hope you enjoy it. We are here with our pal Matt Miller from Bleacher Reports. Um, he is doing a lot of stuff right now. He, you know, he is taking a little bit break from the, from the Stick to Football podcast. He'll be back here in a little bit, I'm sure. Uh, he's the NFL draft writer for Bleacher Report. He does a lot of great work, but what I want to talk about first is some great work he's doing outside of just talking football. Uh, it's the 417 Foundation. Matt, I want to say thanks for, for joining us, and I would just love to get uh, give you a chance real quick to just talk about this because I think it's so cool and so important what you're doing. No, I appreciate it. It's been a long time coming, getting on here with you guys. So I, I definitely appreciate it. After so many times, you know, getting beers and barbecue in person, we finally get to do it over Zoom. Yeah. Uh, no, the 417 Foundation is something I started back in 2013 uh, with my ex-wife, of all things. Uh, my son and this foundation. So the only good thing she ever did for me. Uh, <laughs> that's a joke. That's a joke. She's a lovely lady. Um, so <laughs> started this foundation. It actually started because my mom is the area supervisor for some low-income preschools where I grew up, where I still live in the Joplin, Missouri area. And she, she hit me up one year and she said the local fire department pulled their funding. And that was how we bought every child in our system, a book and a stuffed animal for Christmas. She's like, I know what I'm going to do. I was like, I know what you're going to do. I'm going to reach out to my player friends and we're going to get some memorabilia. We're going to auction it off. And it was just like, okay. And it just blossomed from there. And so, you know, guys like Tyran Matthew, he was with the Cardinals back then. Uh, Mike Evans, the guys who I developed relationships with when they were in college, uh, they sent me autographed stuff, you know, like game-worn shoes, autographed, here, auctioned it off. So we did that and raised enough money to hit that need. And to see that, it was like, oh, my God, this could be – we could do this every year. And so it was like we're buying 400 kids uh, a book and a stuffed animal for Christmas. And then it became – my mom was like, you know what these kids really need is a coat. It's like, okay, let's buy coats. And so it, then it was, all right, we're buying coats. So over the years, like every year something else happens. This year it was coronavirus. You know, it's like we get through the winter season where people need coats and money for Christmas presents. A pandemic hits. And in our area, especially, a $1,200 stimulus check isn't going to get you very far. And a lot of folks, uh, we got them pretty late, at least in southwest Missouri. Uh, so it was trying to fill in that gap. And then when, you know, when George Floyd was murdered, I probably like a lot of people as a mid-30s white guy who went to school with all white people I never had a minority teacher. I did not have a minority friend. Uh, I, I'm sitting here like I've lived this life of, of 
middle class privilege, what can I do other than firing off tweets that people can mute? What can I do to actually enact some change? And so I thought, okay, I'm going to do five $1,000 scholarships to a person of color who wants to go into to journalism. You know, it's something that I didn't get the opportunity to go to journalism school because of some uh, decisions I made. Uh, I had a baby when I was 17. So it was like, I got to, I got to go to work. I, I don't get to go to journalism school. So that's always something that's been important to me is trying to help people uh, take the path that I didn't get to. And so it started as 5,000 and Quincy Avery, who I, I think is the best quarterback coach in the country, retweeted it and said, I'm in for a thousand giveaway six. And then David Mulageta replied and said, I'm in, let's make it seven. And then Nicole Lynn said, now we're doing eight. And then Tori Dandy said, now we're doing nine. And then Dan Orlovsky said, let's do 10. And it just kept going. And it was like, oh my goodness. And like, I'm getting chills a week later talking about it. And so what started as five scholarships is 26 scholarships. And I don't think it's going to slow down. I really don't. I was telling you guys before we started recording, a lot of folks are like, hey, we're getting money together as a a fantasy football league. We're going to donate a scholarship. And it's been so cool to see just people from all walks of life want to get involved and help out. And some people who've donated anonymously, who've been very, very gracious, just people, you know, just people who want to help out. So uh, it's been fun. It's been uh, it's been inspiring, you know, to, to be like, okay, I – I can do more than, than send a tweet that half the country is going to get mad and unfollow me over. And, and so it's been, it's been nice to see uh, some of the positive uh, come out of this, even if it's just like a small segment, you know, like one guy trying to do something. It's been really, really hopeful to see some positive stuff. Man, that, that's so cool to hear. And I, I, I saw what you, you know, I saw what you initially posted and I kind of heard that, you know, it's, it's really continued to expand and grow. And that's so cool. I, I, I'll be given here in a minute. I would like to give you a chance to just let everybody know how can we get involved with, with the Arrowhead Pride listeners? What can we do? Where can we give? Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, if enough people get $5, that adds up really fast. And that's what has happened. That's why that number is ballooned because there were actually a couple guys, uh, a good friend of ours uh, on the Bleach Report side, uh, Joey Molinaro, who's at Barstool now. He was like, hey, I can give half. Well, someone else is given half. That's a whole scholarship. So you can go to 417foundation.com. You can email us. It's info at 417foundation.com. We have a PayPal. It's that email address. Uh, I'm on Venmo. It's NFL Draft Scout. They only let you have one account per phone number. So, But if you send it to that and just put in the, the memo, 417 Foundation or scholarships, it's going to go to that fund. Uh, it's it's a little unnerving to have like $26,000 in my uh you know, Venmo and PayPal accounts right now that is not mine. It's like, we got to start giving this money away. And we've had, uh, I think we've had close to 20 applications. So it's the words getting out, especially where I am locally. Uh, I've partnered with Missouri State to get some information out to their uh, journalism department. And the, the Joplin area, the news is kind of, we're a little slow to things. We still use MySpace down here, I think. So they're a little <laughs> slow to things, but but that word's starting to get out a little bit. And, and I think, you know, we're, you know, I mean, you, you all know, we're all, most of us other than, Matt Lane, we're all Missouri guys, and so uh, you know we're and Kansas guys. Excuse me. So see hey, now, come locally, on. it's cool too. Yeah, <laughs> man, that's so cool. Here's what I would like to do. I and just so we can maybe track, you know, how many Arrowhead Pride members, fan, friends, you know, decide to to contribute. I would like, I would like to challenge people to donate thirty one dollars and twenty cents, which is the <laughs> score. 
of the Chiefs' recent Super Bowl victory over your San Francisco 49ers, my friend. I, I love that, and I appreciate it. I had a feeling it was going to be something like that. You know, the, <laughs> Niners and I are, the Niners and I are like in a weird – we're in a fight, and we have been for about two years now. And so it was even hard for me. I mean, you all know uh, most of you have met my son. He's, he's six years old. He's a gigantic Chiefs fan. Like, his favorite thing to do is go in the backyard. He pretends he's the Chiefs. I'm the Niners, and he kicks <laughs> backyard football. You know, it's so like I even get it at home. Uh, it's been tough, though, because – Chiefs fans have been so welcoming to me, you know, uh, even not as a media person, but just as a football fan. You know, we tailgate up there. I went to five Chiefs games last year, you know, uh, so we tailgate up there a lot. My co-host Mello is a, a Chiefs fan, so I, I got to ride up there with him and listen to his, his smack talk for two and a half hours. We were in Miami for the Super Bowl. Uh, we had a great night that night. I lost a bet. It happens. Uh, I think I threw up in my hotel bed. And what was – hold on. What's, what's the bet? You, you can't stop it. You, you got to tell us the bet. So the bet was losing team runs into the ocean naked because we were on South Beach. So we had this amazing – and I'm not trying to – I humble brag enough. I'm not trying to do that. So we had this – we went to a watch party at, at our hotel where BR put us up at. I don't know how. We ended up at, like, the nicest hotel on, on South Beach. All right. So there's a watch party, and we were like, okay, it's like – $2,000 for a table. We were like, okay, we'll pay it, the three of us. We didn't make Bleach Report pay it, swear to God. Uh, so we paid it. And it was funny because, like, Darrell Rivas was sitting on the floor in front of us. Like, so we got a table and Darrell Rivas didn't. So all game, he's, like, talking shit about Richard Sherman. Obviously, all the Chiefs fans there are just going in on it, too. You know, like, oh, you could have shut that down. Uh, and so Niners lose. I strip, run into the ocean, the whole thing. It was, a, it was a hell of a night, though. We, we spent $2,700 on alcohol during the course of the Super Bowl. Oh, wow. I do not remember going to bed. I uh, thank God was able to drive to the airport the next morning. But I, I took my loss, and uh, it, was, it was fun. I, I FaceTimed my son, and he was crying. He was so happy. And, like, you know, I'm a Royals fan, and so I was there, uh, the wild card game. And that's one of those days I'll never forget is that feeling. And, and for a lot of you guys, I'm sure, or, you know, the, the winning the series, even though they were in New York, calling my brothers, you know, like I have three brothers and all of us getting on a call when that happened. And like, it's this emotional moment. And so even as a Niners fan to experience that with my son, who was at the AFC championship game, my Man. 50 pound six year old went to the AFC championship game in like eight layers of clothes. And, you know, there's a video of him after the game with a bottle of Dom, like spraying people. And um, so it, it, I think that has made me, more of it, you know, like, I'm not afraid to say, it. like, I will root for the Chiefs uh, unless they're playing the Niners just because the, the way that community has accepted me and then now it's my own family, too. No, for sure, man. Uh, I, I, I couldn't imagine, like, you know, with your kid, it's, it, can't be, it, it, it can't be too bad seeing him celebrate like that. I get it. I mean, well, because um, <laughs> not only, you know, I, I was telling someone this before, it's like, you know, I was born in 83, so watching basketball, obviously I was a Jordan fan. You know, I, how could you not be? growing up in that era uh, and we aren't even close to Chicago right but oh you're a Jordan fan you're growing up in his prime my son is growing up with Mahomes who I think is the Jordan of football yep. and not only that like he can send Pat a video anytime he wants you know and like, <laughs> it, like it's, he told his teacher um we're gonna have Mahomes in for uh show and tell and she's like Emmett like that's not nice like you shouldn't lie and he's like no 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 like my dad knows him and she was like Emmett come on the school called me and was like, hey, Mr. Miller, Emmett's telling this story at school. And I was like, well, actually, like, I don't really advertise this, but I work for Bleacher Report. And 
I've known, I've known Pat a long time and he and Emmett send videos back and forth and stuff. And so Emmett's class sent right, right before the Super Bowl, they sent a video like Pat, good luck. And like, of course, being the greatest person in the world, he sends one back. And so it's like, I think also like that, like, could you imagine being six years old and not only living close to the greatest player in the league, but you're, you're somehow, some way you have access to that person. Yeah. So he's, he's phenomenally spoiled. I don't think he even understands it yet, like how lucky he is. But someday it'll sink in. He's going to grow up and just be like, what, you guys don't know Patrick Mahomes? Like, <laughs> right. what's- it's normal to him, right? Yeah. yeah. Right. Oh, that's so cool, man. That's so cool. And having it happen for your kid, like that just makes it that much better. I mean. Yeah, you know. And it's a credit to Pat. I mean, he's, I, I know other people have told this story. You know, the, the game was over. Super Bowl was over and I text him thinking he'll respond in 10 days or not at all. And my feelings would not have been hurt. He responded within the hour, you know, like the game was over. I had a text back within the hour and that's not, I'm not special. That's just the kind of person that he is. Well, we're lucky to have him. Uh, we're very yes. lucky to have him for sure. And, and it's just getting started. He's not even 25 <laughs> years old. Right. We're Congratulations. Just, we're yeah. just, I know. Hey, you know what? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure Mello can attest to this. What we have been through basically since you've been, since you were born, Miller, you yeah, might have been yeah. the curse for, because Blackledge <laughs> was drafted in 83 <laughs> and it took us 34 years to draft another quarterback in the first round. It just happened to be Patrick Mahomes. And also, I probably am the curse because all you got were like the guys the Niners didn't want. Like, oh, here's Steve Bono, See? Elvis Garback, broke ass Joe Montana. <laughs> we Jesus. We owed, we owed San Francisco for the 14 World Series, and we owed San Francisco for Steve Bono. So Absolutely. It, yeah. it played out perfectly. Miller, uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to ask you some questions about the NFL draft. Uh, this year, last year, and 2018, we want to talk a little bit, just touch a little bit on the Brett Beach era, uh, and so just maybe just kind of lay out and talk about some of these things. So 2018 – you know, let's talk about the 2018 draft. So far, what do you think of what the Chiefs have got out of Breland Speaks? Uh, not great. Um, and I was one of those guys before training camp last year, just based on what I'd heard from people. It was like, hey, if he doesn't start, there's a problem. You know, it was a second-round pick, the first pick of that 2018 draft for them. And then for him to come in camp, out of shape, get injured, uh, it's not good. And I think that with Beach, you know, we, I think we forget sometimes that he was – is a young guy, and that was his first draft, and you're just trying to do the best you can with a team that is good enough to make the playoffs and make a run. So you're trying to plug holes. You're not necessarily team building at that point. So when Breland speaks, I don't think anyone can be happy with what the output has been through three years, and you really have to hope that, you know, that, or excuse me, through two seasons, but you have to hope that he comes into year three dialed in that, the, you know, the, the time spent on IR this year, that not only did he get himself in shape, but also realized that, you know, this is – the NFL is a fleeting thing. You know, if you don't make it work, you're, you're not going to last very long. So I, I liked Breland Speaks coming out of Ole Miss. I really did. It was, you know, kind of a hybrid guy, especially at a time where they were running a 3-4 scheme. He made a lot of sense. When you look at him now and with where the defense is, I, I definitely catch myself wondering where he fits, and hopefully he, he can get into the shape that they need him to be in to, to make a contribution. And that's just kind of where I wanted to ask real quick was just again, if you thought he should stay out on the edge, on the edge, you know, with the four, three now hand in the dirt at defensive end, I think there's some hope from chiefs fans that he'll kind of turn the corner getting to play there instead of as a standup. 
But I almost think his best reps going back to kind of the preseason before he was injured, where when he was playing inside more as a pass rushing D tackle, is kind of where you think they should try to focus on getting him the most snaps at this point in time. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the the explosion is not going to be there just based on anything I've seen in the NFL from him. Yeah. I don't think he's ever going to be explosive enough to play on the outside, especially for Spagnuolo, um, where you're not just trying to get like a 285 pound in to anchor and you know gap control. So I would think inside would be the biggest position uh, where he can make an impact, but also where they probably need him to play uh, most because, you know, obviously Frank Clark is amazing and, and they've found some success with rotational guys. I think we saw last year uh, Tano even start to turn it on a little bit more. So I would think that Speaks would be, I mean, I even thought of Ole Miss, like this is your almost athletically, you're looking at a three technique more than a defensive end. And I know that line got blurred a little bit and we were kind of trying to figure out where he would play, but, I do think just with his size and the size that he's added since coming into the NFL, that's probably going to put him more inside. Yeah, we were kind of big proponents of him playing with his hand in the dirt early too. Like even back to 2018, we, we, yeah. called, him a, we called him, because he was playing as a stand-up edge, we called him a stand-up five-tech because we just thought he should have been right. playing five-tech in that 3-4. It's weird how much the Adams, like Marlon Davidson did that at Auburn last year. And it's like, yeah. this guy's not an edge. Like there's, yeah. he's just not, you know, get – Push him inside and, and let him make plays. And, and right. hopefully with hopefully with Speaks, that, that, that year off will be a wake-up call. For sure. Uh, one of the – it might be the, bright, the only bright spot, really, in the 2018 draft was Derek Nottie. Uh, and I, my, I, I just had a hypothetical for you. So let's say the Chiefs, instead of trading up to 46 for Breland Speaks, they trade up to 46 for Derek Nottie. Is that pick worth it at this point? I think so. I, I also think just in uh, relation to that draft, I think it is. And, you know, Derek Nottie is this unsung hero because Chris Jones gets so much attention nationally. And now Frank Clark gets so much attention nationally. I think Derek Nottie is an unsung hero, especially over the last second half of the season. Once we saw that defense kind of gel and get so much better against the run, which you all know better than anyone. The true weakness of this defense in 2018 was they couldn't stop the run. And so for Nottie to step up at times and, you know, if Chris Jones is out or not having a great game, we even saw him penetrate a little bit better. So I think with Derek, a lot of times coming out of college, he got flagged as here's a small nose tackle. And he's actually played as so much more than that. And now we're seeing him be really a fixture and an anchor on that D line where I know it at one point early in the season, it wasn't with you guys, but with other Chiefs fans, they were like, you know, like even if Chris Jones leaves, I think we might be okay because of Naughty and because of someone who we might talk about and, and Colin Saunders, like there's enough young potential here on the, the D tackle spot that maybe you could get away with a rotation that's going to be much less expensive. So I think Naughty has become, I mean, I know down here he's a fan favorite. So to go from pick 75, you know, you're a little bit undersized, not sure what your role will be. And thank God they hired, I think, a perfect defensive coordinator for what he really does best. Oh, absolutely. Sure. This offseason, when we were doing Summer of Spags last offseason, kind of introing what he did, what Steve Spagnuolo did, we were talking about how much Derek Nottie was going to benefit from Steve Spagnuolo being the guy there, you know, being able to line up as that one tech and really do damage. Steve Spagnuolo gets the most out of his nose tackles. It, it almost feels like because it's Spagnuolo that he's just not your typical, you know, one and a half down player. You actually yeah. get more and, out of it because of that. And it's, I, I don't think that Beach and Andy really think this far in advance, but it's almost like they do. It's like, we're going to draft guys not for 
the DC that we're going to fire after the year is for the next guy. And, and it just was such a perfect fit. It's like, like we all hate the defense coordinator, but it's Andy's friends. So we're going to keep him around. But the next guy, he's going to know how to use Tano and he's going to know how to use naughty. And he's going to know how to use Anthony Hitchens who looked so lost his first year. And it's, it's kind of been crazy to watch the whole defense come together. It's like, God, I, I kind of hated you guys in 2018. But <laughs> look, like and that's one thing I fight a lot nationally. Oh, Chiefs defense sucks. It's like, well, no, it like it really doesn't, especially if you watch what they did the last half of, of last year. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. No doubt about it. What would you give the 2018 draft class uh, for a grade as, as, oh, as we sit right now? <laughs> that's so tough. Um, I loved the draft at the time. I'll throw myself on the sword there. I really liked Dorian O'Daniel, you know, a smaller coverage backer. We haven't seen that happen. Uh, I really liked Armani Watts as well, especially in the fourth round. So at like now looking back, I think you have to give it like a C plus because you haven't had anything from your, your first pick in that draft to the point that I think he has to be on, you know, on the hot seat. He could be a potential cut if he doesn't turn things around. Uh, Naughty is like you guys said, he's your only real bright spot from that. I still have hope that the Dorian O'Daniel and Armani Watts at least become good sub package players, but we just, we just haven't seen it yet. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Well, let's move on to 2019, the 2019 draft. I'm trying not to just ask you just straight opinions. I'm trying to give you a little bit of, little bit of uh, something different here. You can only have one, McCole Hardman or Juan Thornhill. I would take a Juan Thornhill, um, like easily. And I like Mikael Hardman a lot. He was one of my favorite uh, kind of under-the-radar players in that draft. And it was funny talking to so many scouts before uh, the Chiefs picked him even. It was like, this guy's going to be good. Like so many people were hoping he would fall to the third round because he was not really used a whole lot at Georgia. And you felt like his potential was just through the roof. But I think Juan Thornhill, you know, even, even taking into account the injury, He's so, so good at a position that's harder to fill. A wide receiver, it's not easy to scout, but you can find guys. Like, you can find fast guys who are good returners throughout the draft. Now, maybe they don't have the upside of Michael Hardman, and I think that's what makes him so special. I mean, obviously, all pro is a rookie. That's, that's or excuse me, pro bowler is a rookie. That's truly special. I think had Juan Thornhill not been hurt, we, we would have talked about the same thing. You know, he was just such a, a ball hawk. He's so smart. He's a great leader on the back end. And I, I, you know, hopefully we get him back early in this upcoming season because I, I really think he could, has a chance to be one of the best, you know, I guess you want to call him a free safety because Tyron plays everywhere. I think he'd be one of the best free safeties in football as long as he's healthy this next coming season. But I think that's kind of the biggest difference with like Hardman and then Thornhill's fit with the team is McCall Hardman kind of fits the same role, generally speaking, that Tyree Kill does. So you can use them yeah. both at the same time for sure. But Tyree Kill is just simply better, at least as of right now. Whereas Juan Thornhill compliments Tyron Matthew almost perfectly. And as we saw later in the year, they kind of intermixed him a little bit more. Thornhill started dropping a little bit more into the box or getting some man coverage reps instead of just playing deep. And yeah, I'm with you. Juan Thornhill's got to be the pick of those two guys just because of the versatility and the fit with the rest of the guys around. And I like me, Cole. And I had heard even before 
everything came out with Tyreek right before the draft. I'd heard that Miko was their guy. And I think we've seen that now with Veach, now that we have another draft to, to process. When he gets his guy, he's drafting him no matter what. Uh, maybe the Tyreek stuff's sped it up a little bit, but I, I do feel like that, you know, at the time you have Tyreek who's in a, a contract situation, um, you know, also has the, you know, the stuff in his background coming out of college. You have to protect yourself. And worst case scenario, you get a really, really fast number two receiver. Uh, and, and as we've seen, it's the fastest team in football now. So I think even if Miko might never become a number one receiver, he might never have to, but that potential is, is definitely there. So in, in a year, we could look back on this and be like, oh, no, it's definitely Miko. He exploded. He, you know, he, he took over that number two receiver role. Sammy Watkins is expendable. DeMarcus is expendable. But if I had to just take one, I would, I would take Juan Thornhill, and I would be doing everything I could to draft Jalen Waddle next year because that's just oh, another, you know, he's another one. So that's what my thing. Like, I feel like you can find one of those guys right. every year. You know, you might not always get Henry Ruggs. You know, you, you can't always have the 11th pick in the draft, but Jalen Waddle is, you know, those guys next year. No, for sure. For sure. Uh, are you optimistic about Colin Saunders? I am. I, I just think that at some point, he needed – I think he needed to catch up mentally, I, truly. I mean, having spent time around him at the senior bowl, he was such a big fish in a small pond in college. And it's just like, okay, he's going he's gonna to need some time to figure things out coming out of Western Illinois. And there have been enough splashes. I think he's going to be okay. Now, I don't think he's going to be Chris Jones. I, I do feel like when people say that, like, Chris can leave. We have Colin Saunders. You guys are drinking too much Boulevard when you say things like that. Like, I don't believe you. <laughs> Um, now I do think he could be a really good rotational piece. And as I said earlier, if you needed to go on the cheap at a position, you could probably get by with Colin and Derek and another guy, whether that's a veteran or another second, third round type pick at D tackle, you might, might be okay, but obviously you'd rather have an all pro and one of the best at the position in the entire league. Yeah, for sure. And Colin was a guy that we said early on probably needed a redshirt year just to catch up, like yeah. you said, to the speed of the game, mentally, physically, everything like that. And he had to be thrust in there. And I, he did fine for what he was asked to do. I'm really interested to see that year two step. You know, being in the room again, being able to, you know, kind of absorb it, have the full offseason, even though it's a COVID offseason, he's still getting to study and learn mentally. I think that's really going to help him. The only thing that is deficient was his reps against really good players. Like, he's not athletically deficient. He's not size deficient. And a lot of times, that's what will hurt guys. That You know, I mean, you come out of Alabama and have great technique and experience, but you're slow or you're overweight. You're out of shape. With yeah. Colin, it's none of those things. He just needs time against real NFL blockers. What would, uh, what would you give the 2019 class grade so far? Uh, an A, easily an A. And I mean, you could say that off just me, Cole, and Juan. I have high hopes for Colin Saunders. I think Rashad Fitton's going to be thrust into a much bigger role this year. I mean, I guess we'll see what happens with Bashad Breland and if he gets out of trouble between now and the NFL season starting. But I think Fitton is, is definitely going to have to, you know, advance and, and become, even if he's a number three or a number four, that's a really, really valuable role for him. I want to I want to pivot to the 2020 class and just ask you a few quick questions about this class. Um, full disclosure, you're talking to a group that this is their favorite Brett Beach class ever. Um, so uh, we'll, I'm, I guess we'll ask you that a little bit here too. But um, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, is there a more perfect fit in this draft than Clyde Edwards-Alaire to the Chiefs? 
No, there is not. I don't know um, how much you guys listen to the Stick to Football podcast. Probably not at all. Um, I, I do, okay. buddy. It's great. It's great okay. stuff. <laughs> so I do. you would know then, the month before the draft, I was told by someone at LSU, and they were like, you guys are drafting Clyde Edwards-Alaire. And I was like, there's no way Kyle Shanahan drafts a running back in the first round. They were like, oh, I thought you were a Chiefs fan. Sorry. <laughs> the Chiefs are drafting. And I was just like, okay. So I start on the podcast. Like uh, This guy who told me is always right. So I was like, okay. So I start just messing with Mello on the podcast and our other co-host, Connor Rogers. So we do mock draft Mondays. And I would be like, Clyde Edwards-Alaire to the Chiefs. and Or we would do prop bets. Clyde Edwards-Alaire first round to the Chiefs. And I was just like so, so bullish on it. I was so cocky. I got, I scared myself about it. So the (laughs) night before the draft, Pat uh, Mahomes tweeted me and he's like, if you can guess our first round pick, I'll sign a helmet and send it to your foundation. It scared me so much that I didn't say Clyde Edwards Alaire. I was like, uh, Christian Fulton. So like, it was just completely paralyzed me. There is no better fit. I, and, and even looking back at my scouting notes, he's just a, I think he's so much like Kareem Hunt. I know other people have said Priest Holmes or uh, uh, guys who were in Philly as well. Brian Westbrook. I, I see, yeah. Brian Westbrook, right. Yeah. I, I see a lot of Kareem Hunt with that shiftiness, the power. He's got a lot of dog in him at the point of contact. But also, he's not fast, but he runs away from people. And I think another thing with Clyde is he has no strike zone. I don't know where you hit him. He's five foot mm-hmm. six. I And I've seen him play five times in the last year and a half. I don't know how you tackle him because he's just so small and it's small and powerful. And so it's almost like there's a little Maurice Jones drew to his game as well. So I think he's going to be fantastic. I mean, my favorite thing is he caught more passes than Henry Ruggs last year. I don't know <laughs> if a lot of people understand that. And so yeah. when you look at what Kareem was to that offense, which you all know better than anyone, how important Kareem was as a pass catcher. And, and I know a lot of people, I mean, Mello was so pissed at me, like stop saying it's, we're not drafting a running back. It's like, I, I think you are. And so a lot of people had to come around to that of like, okay, we've drafted the running back. Oh my God, we drafted the running back. And that, you know, when someone, if someone can take away Travis Kelsey, if someone can take away Tyreek and Sammy and Miko, oh, now we have to deal with the best pass catching running back in the entire 2020 historically deep running back class. So good luck stopping these guys. I don't know how anyone's going to do it. You get down the field with all these guys vertically, and then you've got Clyde Edwards-Alaire on a linebacker just running option routes. Like, I mean, he's just got mm-hmm. you know all kinds of space to operate underneath. It's right. like, what are you going to do? I I oh, was and your quarterback's a magician, and he <laughs> even though he's not fast, can extend the pocket better than any quarterback in the NFL. Sorry, Pat. Uh, it's just it's <laughs> it's truly amazing, and I think what makes Clyde so amazing with this offense is they have him a lot with Joe Burrow. He knows how to flow with the quarterback. So that if you get strung out to the right or to the left, or if you have to fade in the pocket, he's just so aware as a route runner that, I I mean, truly, good luck. Whether, I mean, the Chargers have a very good defense on paper right now. They don't have enough guys to stop this offense. I think, dude, I think Clyde, watching him, I think he's one of the, I think he's got some of the best vision I've seen, especially in space at the second level. It's anticipation, it's vision. I mean, he is, you know, there's a, there's a lot of talk about his athletic profile, which he didn't, you know, perform great at the NFL combine. But I think what allows him to do some of the stuff is just the anticipation and the vision. He's got moves set up well before he gets there. And that ability in space, I think, is just, he's going to have space. Like, he's going to have yeah. a ton of space to operate. Guaranteed. 
Right. Like there's no more offense where you could guarantee space because y'all spread everybody out so well. And you have a very good offensive line. Like let's not forget to talk about an offensive line that's really, really good and was able to bring back uh, LDT, which no one thought was going to, maybe you guys did. I don't know anyone else who thought that was going to happen, you know, and I didn't. And so it's, and you're going to get Martinez Rankin back healthy. And it's, so it's, okay, you have a really good offensive line, but amazing scheme, right? You have the best offensive mind in football. And now you have all these weapons. And I think that goes back to something Brett told me uh, maybe last summer. It was like, we will always get Pat weapons because when you have a talent like that, you have to surround them with, with all the talent that they need. And you can maybe skate by at corner. You can maybe skate by a little bit at linebacker because we know we can score 35 and 40. And, and that's, it hasn't been proven wrong yet. Speaking of linebacker, I wanted to ask you a little bit about Willie Gay. Uh, Willie Gay Jr., do you think that he's going to be able to see the field early? I do. I do just because of his athleticism. Um, I, I think, And I don't think that Willie was necessarily – a lot of times in college we see guys, ah, oh, you're a great athlete, your instincts are usually terrible. I didn't feel like he was like that. Now, he's inexperienced, but I always thought he had good instincts. And so I think his athleticism will allow him to do some things that even if he's not there yet from an awareness or experience standpoint – when you run a 4-4 as a linebacker, you're going to be okay. You're going to do things. And I think even if you compare him to a Darren Lee, you know, uh, if you have critic, critical Chiefs fans, I don't know if those exist. Niners fans, there's those people that just hate everything. So, <laughs> you know, if there's a Chiefs fan version of that, they'd be like, oh, well, Darren Lee's a great athlete. And I've known Darren uh, since he was at Ohio State. He's not the most instinctive player. Uh, and you know, I've seen a lot of guys like that coming out. Uh, Malik Jefferson, I'm a Texas fan. Malik Jefferson was that way. A fantastic athlete. His instincts were a second late. And I think with Willie, you don't ever see that where he's just incredibly late and he's playing catch up with his speed. I think he's, I think he's well-rounded enough. And I really thought that, that Anthony Hitchens played well down the stretch. I'm a, a believer in Damian Wilson. I think he's going to be a good player. We're just starting to see what he can become. So I think when you add in, you know, like I said earlier, I'm still hopeful that, that Dorian O'Daniel can become something. But when you add in, you know, Willie's speed, you've got four linebackers who can move really, really well. So if you get into a situation where you, you need that against a, a team like Denver, you know, who has so many weapons now, big and small, you might need a couple of linebackers who can cover. I think you're going to have to rely on Willie in his rookie year. Yeah, that's absolutely the case. We, we said even when we were doing like the draft guide and stuff like that, it, the second time that he saw something, he knew where it was going. Now, yep. maybe not see it at all the first time because of his lack of experience on the field there. But he definitely was a guy that picked things up quickly. So that kind of gives you hope. And like you said, he's got that speed. We know the Chiefs needed speed at linebacker. They prioritized that. Tried to go get Darren yep. last year and do that. So I, do you expect maybe that he's going to be in that Will role? They've talked about him starting at the Sam and maybe eventually moving to Will do you think that he's going to get a full year at Sam? Where do you see him there? Yeah, Craig, I don't know. I mean, my belief has always been you put your athlete at will. Let them go make plays. Because you're going to – in every Same. defense, right? Like, you're going to your, your play to the will, right? So, that's like where – I mean, yeah, let's, let's put that guy who looks like a running back playing linebacker at will. <laughs> you would like to get him there, but I think also at will, like, you're given a lot of freedom. You know, you have a lot of ability to freelance, to roam. So, I, I would probably start him as Sam as well. Let him – be more of a two-down player, at least initially, and, and get his feet wet, let him get caught up. And I think none of us know what these rookies are going to look like in a year where we haven't yeah. had rookie camp. We had, you know, everything's just so wild and wide open. And 
which is why I'm picking the Chiefs to repeat as Super Bowl champs. Let me make sure I get that in here. <laughs> because, you know, we don't, we don't know what, what Willie Gay has learned over the summer at all or if he has. So I, I think that, you know, you could definitely be optimistic. And next year, yeah, like 2021, this is our weak side linebacker. And, hell, he might be an all-pro because he's, he's able to impact the game on all three downs. And, and as a rusher, as a cover guy, I think that as a player, and I, I saw this all year, I remember like midway through the season, people were like, fire Brett Beach, Frank Clark sucks. Like, let's wait until week 17 <laughs> to evaluate Willie Gay's rookie year if we could please do that. Uh, because I, I think I think Brett and, and the coaches there and the exceptional scouting staff, they really know what they're doing. And if they believe in Willie Gay, it's funny because, like, that happens. Like, when the Patriots draft a guy, you're like, okay, well, they get a bump because the Patriots believe in them. I'm not going to go against Bill Belichick. And, it, you know, Brett and Andy have really gotten to that level with me as well. And, you know, there are other teams like Seattle. Uh, I still think LJ Collier was a mistake and I still think Rashad Penny was a mistake, but <laughs> more often than not, they're going to get it right, you know? And so it's, you see that. And with, with KC, it's that way too. It's like you almost self scout yourself against what they, what they do and what they see with players. Yeah. We, we banged our head against tables over the cornerback position for the first two years of Brett Beach's tenure. And then he won a Super Bowl without spending next to, you know, spending next to nothing there. So like, I mean, full right. on, he deserves you know, a lot of benefit of the doubt. We've said I that still don't think he can spell cornerback and pertains to the first two days of the draft, but okay. <laughs> right. Yeah, I remember when they signed Antonio Hamilton, Mello and I were like, who the f*** is Antonio Hamilton? Like, you know what? It doesn't matter. I don't know who Javarius Ward was either. And he's really good. So uh, in Beach, we trust, right? That's what y'all say? That's kind of that's kind of where we're at right now. We have no reason not to at this point. We got, we got, well, we don't have rings on our finger, but the city collectively has a ring on its finger now, right? <laughs> Um, okay, couple couple more questions. We'll let you get here, buddy. Um, Lucas Niang, uh, do you like the value that uh, at ninety six? And I'll just do you like the value at ninety six? We'll start there. I got another follow up question. I do, I do, because I think he, I don't know that he's going to play this year. Obviously, coming off the torn labrum in his hip, but I like the value because even if he's not your right tackle of the future, and I mean like three, two, three years down the road. He's going to be a really good swing player. And I think that was needed, you know, with Cameron Irving moving on. I know he wasn't great, but he filled a valuable role as someone who can play multiple positions. With Lucas Nyang, I do not believe he gave up a sack in three years. And I know the Big 12 doesn't play defense, but that's still <laughs> that's still notable to me. And he, he has size. I think he's still someone who you're going to really want him to invest in your strength and conditioning just to, to try to round out his game a little bit better, I think his deficiencies were in that regard, you know, that at times he was just like bigger than everyone else. So now I want to see, can he hone in and, you know, increase his flexibility, his agility, work on some quickness. But I, I am a believer of his. I also like Daryl Williams, the, the undrafted free agent they picked up from Mississippi State. I think he's another guy who could be good at, whether it's center or guard, I think he has a lot of value. I like him at center, I think. But I'm, I'm totally with you. Like, I, yeah, he could do anything. Yeah, yeah, be, he could be a nice little ad. I, I have a little hope that he's going to make the, the roster I wrote about him. Would you keep Lucas Nyang at tackle, or would you kick him inside? I would keep him at tackle at least for now. I like some of the young depth at the interior. I also think those are easier positions to fill, and I mean zero disrespect to Andrew Wiley and <laughs> Nick Allegretti's of the world, but like that's a little easier job than – Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher, uh, right. who have to be the most underrated duo in the entire NFL. Uh, so I would keep him outside because I, I do think at some point you're going to have Eric and Mitch are just going to price themselves out at some point as veterans or they're going to retire. 
you know, after three or four Super Bowl wins. So I think you have to always have your eye for the future at, at the outside. And, and then it's, I think it's easier to move someone inside after they have failed on the outside than just rushing to put someone in at guard. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the whole Chiefs draft plan here was they went with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire early on, then Willie Gay, and that's two guys that should help you win again this year. That's two guys that can help you repeat. You then have some time. You can start looking a little bit more to the future. Both Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz, I believe, have two more years under contract. Fisher's getting pretty expensive next year if they have to make some hard cap moves to keep Chris Jones and pay Patrick Mahomes. Maybe you consider moving on from him a year early. It's just the Lucas Nang pick, to me, makes the most sense to keep him at tackle, let him learn, get up to speed at the NFL, get recovered from the hip injury, keep him outside. I know some Chiefs fans like the idea of putting him inside because they are desperate to get rid of LDT in Kansas City for some reason. But right. I, I like him on the outside. Like I said, I'm with you there, and I just think the value of having him able to start next year or the year after is just much bigger than starting at guard right now. Matt, I got one more question for you. Uh, and is this, it's about Legereus Sneed, who the Chiefs, if, if, if you trust what the Chiefs said uh, you know, on some of their videos and stuff, if they had the first pick in the fourth round, they would have taken Legereus Sneed. It's believed that he's going to play corner. Had, did you watch any 2018 Legereus Sneed tape at cornerback, and if so, did you like it? I did, actually, uh, because he and Amik Robertson, I liked both of them, and it started for me – I'll give my, my co-host and baby brother some credit. It starts me, I, I text Mello and said, you need to watch Amik Robertson at Louisiana Tech. And he said, you need to watch the other guy. I was like, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. The Will Ferrell movie? Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And so, <laughs> like, you know, go back and watch. They had a, a, a guy who played, you know, safety slash corner, super athletic. And so that's where it's really important to me, like, that I have someone who I trust who can scout with me because – you know, we're kind of overlapping each other. And so I went back and watched 2018 with Jerry Steen. It was like, oh, yeah, like, you know, six, almost six one. He looks the part, you know, 195 pounds. But that 439, it shows up. It's not a track 439. Right. He is exceptionally fast. And, and you know, the fact two-year starter, like there's a lot of experience for him there. And with, I think, the AFC West, especially with teams like uh, every team, they're trying to attack vertically. Everyone, you know, they're going and getting their own version, you know, of Tyree Kill. And so I think you need someone who can, okay, well, you guys are going to draft Henry Ruggs and you're going to draft, you know, all these uh, fast receivers. We're going to counter that with some fast corners who maybe they don't have the cleanest technique, but he can turn around with you and, and he has the size to compete down the field. I don't need Legereus need to be Darrell Revis or Tredavious White. I just need to be a good enough athlete to carry guys vertically. And I've seen him do that on tape. So I feel like he can continue to do that. Oh, absolutely. I'm with you on all of that. And actually, my follow-up has nothing to do with the draft. I just wanted to make sure you're aware that our very own Kent Swanson tried to start a movement last year, the San Francisco 33ers. Because the Chiefs had the 49ers second-round draft pick, he tried to start a hashtag on Twitter all year calling for the 49ers to have the 33rd pick in the NFL draft so that the Chiefs could have back-to-back -back picks. Just, you know, want to make sure you knew that. that he, he thought you guys were going to be the worst team in the NFL. I didn't year. think it. I was trying to will it okay. into existence. Yeah. I wanted well, the pick. I'm good with that. And I, like I said, the Niners and I are kind of in a fight. Like, John Lynch hates me. I'm not a Jimmy Garoppolo fan. So, it's just, you know what? I, I don't know. We haven't traded any picks yet this year, but maybe it'll happen. And I, I'm not – I'm not an optimistic fan for 2020 in San Francisco.
Wow. I, they wound up being the 63ers, though. So, I mean, they wound up being okay. It was close. Yeah. It's not, doesn't, not as catchy, but it still works. <laughs> it does, hey, the Chiefs won a Super Bowl. I don't care what you call them. Right. Who gives That's a all shit, that right? matters. It like, doesn't matter. Right. That's all that matters. Yep. Matt, I have, you have no idea how much I appreciate how kind you've been to me over, like, the last seven years. I've known you for seven years now. Before I was doing – before I was doing this, before I was podcasting and writing, um, and you've always been kind and you've always been very supportive. You literally were the first person to buy the draft guide last year. Literally person number one. And so um, I, I really appreciate you and, and thank you again for your time with all of us, buddy. Yeah, absolutely. As soon as we can safely do it, uh, we'll get together. We'll fly, fly Maddie Ann from North Carolina. I do have to say <laughs> – Matt, um, I, I know we don't know each other super well, but when we saw you in Fort Lauderdale the night before the Super Bowl, the, our young guy, we call him Big Country, who does radio with us and he helps us on the road, he was so starstruck by you. He comes up to <laughs> Noah and I and he's like, he's like, do you know who this is? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, that's Matt Lane. And like, he's just so starstruck. And so anytime we see you tweet or anything, we're always like, hey, that's Matt Lane. Like, like, and he's got a photo of you. I'm pretty sure it's his Tinder profile picture. Like, and he's gonna kill me because he's so much bigger than me. Um, but I had to let you know, like, even oh. even guys who work at Bleacher Report get pretty starstruck by Matt. Lane. Oh man, no, that's great. He almost tackled me when he first recognized me out there. He's so enormous. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I love kid. seeing I love seeing you guys out there. That was awesome, and I I really wish I could have been there live to see him run his forty yard dash because like I I was following, I was tracking that. I wanted to see what we came in at. So just to yeah, just put was, the perspective on this, when Kent and I ran into Big Country and Mobile, he was like, "Oh, hey guys." <laughs> There's nothing right. there for us, so this is right. all oh, Matt Lane. So it's much crazy. love for Matty Lane. Who's the, he's Hollywood now. No. That's going to be the next T-shirt that we do. You know, we have the, if you ain't pit, you ain't shit. We're going to do Matt <laughs> Lane T-shirts. Uh, I'm going to text my guy right now because he needs that. We'll buy seven. <laughs> right. Let's do it. Oh, that's awesome. That's incredible. Matt, again, thank you so much, buddy. Uh, everybody, make sure to go check out the 417 Foundation. Stick to football. When's it back? Uh, TBD. We're working on in improving, like, all the technology. We completely tore apart our studio here in Joplin. We're rebuilding it. So uh, looking at late July, early August, and it's going to be better than it's ever been. I'm, I'm super excited. That's so great, man. Well, I appreciate you again, and uh, we'll, maybe we'll catch up with you again some other time. Absolutely, fellas. Thanks so much. A special thanks again to Matt Miller for jumping on and spending some time with us. We really appreciate him. He's always been incredibly kind to us, uh, very gracious, literally the first person to ever buy the KC Draft Guide. I have the receipts to prove it. Uh, but make sure you're, you're checking out all the work that he's doing at Bleacher Report. Make sure you're listening to Stick to Football, and make sure you're checking out what he is doing with the 417 Foundation. It is great stuff. Uh, that's going to do it for this week's episode, the Wednesday episode. Be sure to check out the AP Editor Show tomorrow. Pete and John Dixon will be back with you. We've got more content coming on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast channel. We'll catch you later.